Okay, so this morning we're on to the next part of the Sermon on the Mount. Here we go. And it's just two verses from Matthew chapter 5. And it's on the subject of divorce. We, you know, preaching our way, teaching our way through the Sermon on the Mount does raise some issues which normally we might seek to avoid. Not because we haven't got views on them, but because, you know, it's, it, they're quite difficult subjects for a Sunday morning. I want to say two things before I go any further, quite seriously. One, I know this could be a very close issue for some people here. And what I want to do, and I trust will happen, is, is to speak with grace and compassion in this area of life. Um, many of us have been affected by divorce. A few, maybe directly. Others, it happens in our families and has had an impact on us. So, we want, to, we want this time to be filled with grace and mercy and love. The other thing I want to say is that some people may say, well, this doesn't affect me at all. For whatever reason, I am single. And uh, let me say here that singleness is, is a good gift of God and is prized highly in the New Testament. In no way, in no way is a single person inferior to those who are married. No way. In fact, one could even read the New Testament and put it the other way around. So, you may think this doesn't apply to you at all, but let's hope that all of us can learn from the way Jesus deals with this subject because the way he deals with this could set for us a pattern of how he deals with other issues. So, that's, that's what I want to say before we go any further. I want this time to be filled with grace and that all of us can learn from. So, here we go, let's see. Just these two verses from, from Matthew chapter 5. It has been said, Jesus says, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, um, that, that is the word pornaya, from which we get pornography, etc. Um, except for sexual Im immorality, makes her the vi victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, they sound very, very straightforward, words of Jesus, uh, but we need to look at them and treat his word with care. So, some facts about divorce. In modern UK. Right. 42% of all marriages end in divorce. 42%. And 
And would you know that that figure is go has gone down since the year 2000? Uh, because, why? Because more people live together. Having said that, the most common years for people to be divorced is in between the fourth and eight, year, eight years of marriage. That's interesting, isn't it? So if, you're, if you pass that, <laughs> be careful. Yeah, that, that's, the most, that's the most common period, apparently. So, as I said, divorce rates have fallen since the year 2000, really because I think people are living together. And then they break up. So that's not a divorce, is it? It's as simple as that. Ah, divorce rates amongst older people are increasing. Do you know what I think happens? Married couples, they're both out to work, they're both having a great life, they retire. And suddenly, you're together. <laughs> it, it, apparently, it's a phenomenon that is called the silver splitters. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes, well, okay. <laughs> but, it, it's happening. It's happening. The people who've been married years, many years, suddenly find they can't live together. And that's, that's, that's a fact. Now, divorce rates apparently are highest amongst, in black communities and lowest in Asian communities, communities. Now, before we put a racial spin on that, Let's remember this, that black people, certainly in cities, find themselves in the worst type situations, for whatever reason. Socially and economically, and that can cause tensions in marriage. That's be so let's be careful about putting race into this, although it could be a factor, but let's, let's be very, very careful. On the other hand, Asian communities have a very high ethic of family life together. And we might say well, that the man is dominant often in, in those families, but it does have the effect of keeping families together. And with a lot of them, there is a strong Islamic ethic as well, which is against divorce in that sense and adultery accounts for about 14% of all divorces so that's the sort of social background if you like of what we're looking at this morning so it's a very important subject not only for us but for society as a whole well, what's the Old Testament background? Because Jesus does say in our, in our reading, it has been said, which is obviously pointing back to the Old Testament. Not, notice what he does and does not say, actually. He doesn't say, God has said this. He says, it's been said. So he's looking at an interpretation, yes? 
So we'll see. What does the Old Testament say? Well, Deuteronomy 22.22, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. That's pretty brutal, isn't it? It is, because quite simply, in Old Testament terms, adultery means death. Wow. Now let's remember that God was establishing his people. Let's remember that around them were nations whose moral standards and behaviours were very, very different to what God required. Let's remember that God was making sure that his people who came from 12 different tribes and had a lot of others hanging on, if you read the Old Testament carefully, that's what it was like, he was bringing these people together and he didn't want anything to come into society that would break it. So in these terms, his his, if you like, his conditions are harsh, according to our thinking. And quite simply, as, as Israel was being established and founded and settling in the land, etc., adultery meant death. Deuteronomy 22.22. But there's another reference here, and this is the reference that Jesus refers to. Now, I don't expect you to be able to read that. I wanted to get it on one slide, so I will read it to you. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce gives it to her and sends it from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. That is a very complex situation. (laughs) Uh, briefly, and I think probably God was directing Moses to write about real situations that came to him. Remember, people brought all sorts of judgment to him, and this is what was happening. What happens is, a man is married, he gets fed up with his wife, he gives, writes her a certificate, and it's all if, 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 of course. He gives her a certificate of divorce, which says you can marry again. The woman leaves, she meets the second man, he marries her, Oh boy, he gets fed up with her, writes a certificate of divorce, or he dies, then she can't go back to her first husband. That sounds very tortuous, doesn't it? But what is going on here? What is God doing? I'll tell you what God is doing. He's protecting the woman. He's protecting the woman. She is not to be treated as an object that can be passed from man to man. That's not right. And the men are being told, you can't treat marriage as if it's, it's, it's like a hobby. Here today, gone tomorrow, have it back. That's not, that's not what God wants. 
He wants both men and women to be shown dignity and respect. And particularly in that society, this was to protect the woman. Now, it's, it's not our culture. So it's hard for us to get our minds around. But that's what God was doing. And this is the passage that Jesus refers to. And note this, this can't include adultery. Why? Because adultery meant death. And we're only two chapters along the way in, in Deuteronomy. So originally, this didn't include adultery. God is protecting women. He's making sure men behave right. And he's protecting society as a whole. And it's a different culture. It's a different culture to ours. Began as a nomadic culture, then settling into the, into the land. Totally different. So that's the Old Testament background. So then, in Jesus' day, what were the teachers teaching? What were the rabbis teaching then? Now, by this time, understand this that the death penalty for adultery was very, very, very rarely applied. That's, that's what happened. So if they were not going to apply the death penalty, which we would say was quite right, then the teachers went to that second verse, that second little passage. And there were two levels of teaching and all shades in between. On the one hand, some said the only reason for divorce was because of immorality or adultery. Now they'd obviously changed the meaning of, of Deuteronomy 24 because we said it couldn't apply to adultery. As they'd stopped the death penalty, they now applied it to adultery. And they are saying that the only reason a man could divorce a woman was for adultery. Or, others taught the exact opposite. And they said if, if, the, if the husband got fed up with the, the wife's cooking, she, this is true, this is true, honestly. If, if the husband got fed up with the wife's cooking or spoiled something, he could say, oh, I'm fed up with this, write a certificate of divorce, you can marry again, and that was it. And that was being taught by the teachers of the day. Guess which was the most popular view? <laughs> Everybody's like, you're right, it was the liberal one. Now you see what's happening. In a male-dominated culture, the woman is treated with no respect at all. You know, it's, I mean, it's, for our, to our ears and our minds, it's, it's dreadful. But that was the reality. You see, only men could divorce. A woman couldn't write a certificate. Oh, there were times, actually, when a woman could go to a court and plead with those who were, sort of had judgment on these things and say, my husband is treating me badly, etc., etc. And then the court would then instruct the husband to divorce. But, I mean, he could either say yes or no. So it really wasn't 
much of an advantage. That was the situation that Jesus spoke into. And we must remember that Jesus was speaking into real-life situations, not just theoretical ones. This is what was happening. So, let's look at Jesus' teaching on this. Now, I put the word adultery in uh, inverted commas there. Why? Well, some people wonder, because if you think back over the last few weeks, murder, Jesus sort of turned into general anger. So it wasn't just straight murder that he was concerned about, but he was turned he was concerned about anger as part of that. All shades. If you think back to adultery, Jesus said, Ah, but you've only got to look at someone and you're committing adultery. In other words, he broadened it. And there are many who wonder here, is Jesus then broadening this to anything that breaks the one flesh covenant between a man and a woman? Now, I'll just let that hang there. There are differences of opinion on that, but that's where we go. Because in Jesus' day... If you committed adultery, you had broken the one flesh union with your husband or wife. And therefore, divorce was just recognising what already had happened. You'd actually caused a divorce by committing adultery. Now that was what was believed in Jesus' day. And Jesus was speaking into that. So, what Jesus is, is saying, he's, he's aligning himself, really, with the more hardliners, but he could be expressing anything that breaks that one flesh covenant. He's concerned. So, divorce recognises that fact. And Jesus is saying, I agree. I agree. Now, he doesn't mean that he wants it to happen. It doesn't mean Jesus is saying, well, of course, now you must get divorced. There's more to say on that. But Jesus is essentially saying, I agree with that. So, divorce, he says, for any reason, causes the woman and a future husband to commit adultery. Actually, I need to go a bit further than that. As soon, Jesus is saying, as soon as the husband writes the certificate of divorce and sends his wife out, he's categorised her as an adulterer even before it happens. And that is terrible. And then when she marries... Jesus is saying, quite rightly, the one flesh union has been broken, the man has broken it, 
they're both then committing adultery. Whoa, this sounds hard. Sounds really tough. So what Jesus is saying, that's the one reason, that's the one reason for divorce. Which causes us to ask questions, doesn't it? If it doesn't you, it does me. I would say, perhaps you would say, what about violence? Does that break the covenant? Now on a narrow view of what adultery is, some would say it doesn't. But if you say that adultery is anything that be, that breaks into that covenant, then it would. What about abuse? Very closely allied. What about neglect? I remember a conversation I had many, many, many years ago and uh, someone said, you've got a young couple, early 20s, married a couple of years, and the husband goes off. Asked the question, can the wife remarry? And the answer I got was no. Not her fault. These are the questions we ask, aren't they? Because compassion and concern doesn't give that answer. What about desertion? There you go. What about sheer incompatibility? What about the silver splitters? They're the questions that we ask. And we've got to find a way through it. We have. We want to find a way through that we trust is faithful to biblical revelation, faithful to Jesus' teaching, but also is compassionate, gracious, loving. You know what I mean? We've got to find a way through this because we are living in 21st century UK. Right. So what does Jesus say today? I believe Jesus is first of all doing this. He's affirming very strongly the status of marriage. Now single folks, hear what I said at the beginning? There's more in the scriptures than this. But Jesus is affirming the status of marriage. I believe Jesus is making very clear here, and if we go on to Matthew chapter 19, it becomes even clearer, which I'm not going to look at today. But Jesus is stating very clearly here that marriage is the lifelong union between a man and a woman. And that is what marriage is which has clear implications for today's society. That is what Jesus is saying here. Now, we have to say, is that word relevant now? As an aside, 
I don't know if you've got five minutes and I don't want you to think about it, but pray for the Anglican Synod this week. This is going to be top subject as, as bishops, clergy, laity, as they call it, get together. This is going to be their top subject. And there will be many that will be praying that the Anglican Church will stay faithful to Scripture. And that's happening this week. But you see, as, as we look at 1 Corinthians 7, there are two things there. 1, 1 Corinthians 7, 4 says this. The man's body belongs to the woman and the woman's body belongs to the man. They, we're together. That's the closeness of relationship. And Paul affirms that even though Later on in that chapter, he opens up other reasons for allowing a husband or wife to go. So Paul had an open view of what Jesus was teaching here. But Paul affirms the uniqueness and God-given nature of marriage. And in fact, he takes it even further if you go to Ephesians 5. Marriage, says Paul, is a most magnificent portrayal of the relationship between Jesus and his church. Folks, this is Christian marriage. What society says is marriage is one thing. But what... The Bible, Jesus, we say is Christian marriage is something else. Now, let's, I wouldn't use words like marriage and then holy matrimony, which some of our Anglican brothers and sisters are doing. But I, I would say this is Christian marriage. It's the lifelong union between a man and a woman who so deeply belong to each other that they reflect the relationship between Jesus and his church. Wow, that is an amazing picture. So Jesus is affirming the status of marriage. We have to deal with that, folks. Honestly, if you disagree, let's talk about it. Let's not get into any strop. <laughs> But let's, let's just humbly talk about it together and see what God says through his word. Secondly, Jesus is emphasising the importance of marriage. Marriage, God-given marriage, is a building block of society. Marriage means... Let's trust, and this is ideal, and I know things fail, I really do. But marriage means a stable, secure family. You talk to any teacher, or you talk to my daughter, whose school is in a very deprived area, what are the families like? Many of them are dysfunctional. Kids 
Only one parent. Usually men who go in and out of those sort of relationships. Sometimes they're there. What happens? The children are unstable. Society is unstable. There are problems in school. All sorts of things have to be dealt with. Now, understand this. Many single parents do excellently. Of course they do. We can't categorise everyone like that. But where marriage is not, not upheld, where it is seen as, well, that's only a piece of paper, isn't it? But it isn't. The piece of paper is a sign of something much deeper. It's not just a civil contract. And where that isn't upheld, the, the chances of society being unstable, that, they're greater. Because stable marriages lead to a stable society. If you put, build something with faulty bricks, what's going to happen? The building is going to collapse eventually. And if society is, is, is built with faulty bricks, then the building that is society will start to disintegrate. What is happening around us, folks? So much is decaying around us. Now, there are, I'm, please, I'm not minimising the good things. I'm not minimising that at all. And I guess every generation has looked and seen this sort of thing. But it remains true. Marriage is a, is a fundamental part of being a stable society. Trouble is, we get so used to leave, living in the unstable, we don't know what the stability is like. So I believe that's what Jesus is secondly is saying today. Thirdly, I believe Jesus in this is encouraging the saving of marriages. When he says about divorce and adultery, I don't mean, as I've said already, that doesn't mean he's saying, oh yeah, go on and do it. I believe what Jesus wants is that every, every effort is made to save marriages. That divorce, even for adultery, whatever the adultery is, let's leave it like that, is the last resort, not the first. Because Jesus wants the best for us, not the second best, not what necessarily society says, but he wants the best for us. Whether you're married or single, wherever you are in life, Jesus wants the best for you. And he wants us to live in society that is the best that can be. And that's what church should be. We should be a living demonstration of what society can be like. Man, when we are infected by grumbles and groans and moans and all the rest of it, what are we doing? We're imitating what's out there. Oh, if we can live together in in, in grace and love and acceptance and deal with the difficulties that we have in a, in a spirit-led, compassionate way, 
then divorce for us as church will be a last resort. You understand what I'm saying here? So the default position is to try and save a marriage. That should be our default position. Man, I don't know if anyone amongst us is having difficulties in their marriage or even in their single life. I pray that we'll be a community where we can reach out to each other, accept each other and help each other to do the God-given thing. That can be tough and it can be difficult. And maybe there are some of us that have been through difficulties and we're so, so glad we've kept together. And that we didn't take what at one point seemed an easier way out. God wants us to be together like this. That's the default position. But there's one other thing I want to say. And it's this. I believe Jesus is very compassionate towards those whose marriage has failed. In fact, we could broaden that and say Jesus is compassionate to anyone who has failed in any way and who recognises that failure and says, God, I need your help. I need to turn around and I need to trust you for something better. He has compassion on all who fail. Now, we know, and it was quoted last week, and let me say it again, that if we confess our sin, he's faithful. God is faithful. And he's just. Great is thy faithfulness. He's just. And he will forgive our sin and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That is God's heart for us. And it could be. It could be that you reach a point and you think this cannot continue. I don't believe God wants to condemn anyone to a life of misery. He wants us to be faithful to his word. He wants us to follow him as as far as we can. But if the worst comes to the worst... Just as adultery is not the unforgivable sin, there's only one sin that's unforgivable, and that's unbelief. Because if you don't believe, you won't receive forgiveness. Adultery isn't the unforgivable sin, and neither is divorce. Hear what I'm saying. I am not advocating easy divorce at all I'm advocating that we try and try and try and try but let's be realistic folks you're fallible I'm fallible you're weak 
I'm weak. I can't always live up to what I believe I should do, and neither can you. And sometimes, sometimes, this is what happens. And what do we do? We don't reject. We don't say, we want nothing more to do with you. Of course we don't. We say, this is the reality. This is what's happened. And in the grace of God, we will pick up and we will go forward. And could that open up the possibility of remarriage? Where there has been true repentance, true dealing with God, I believe yes. You may disagree. But that's where I'm at. Jesus met the woman at the well. She was talking about worship and whatever. He said at one point, you're right in saying you haven't got you're not with your husband you've got these five men the one you have now is not your husband did he reject her? did he? no he didn't she was so joyful at what he'd said she, she ran off and she said to people God come and see this guy he's told me everything I ever did because she could feel his grace and compassion. And then they brought the woman who had been caught in an adulterous situation. They brought her to Jesus. Whether they would have stoned her to death, we don't know, because it was very rare then, as I've said. But they certainly knew the law said they could. And they threw her at Jesus' feet. What do you say about this, Jesus? What did Jesus say? Right. If you've got no sin, pick up a rock and throw it. He waited. Did anybody pick up a rock, a stone? Did anyone throw anything at her to condemn her to death? No. Because they may not have committed adultery. But as the Bible says elsewhere, we're all sinners. And they knew it. And one by one they left. Leaving the woman on the ground with Jesus. And what did Jesus say? I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go. But leave your life of sin. Don't do it again. (coughs) Don't do it again. And that's what I believe Jesus says to all of us who fail and we've all failed and he says I don't condemn you just come back to me and we can go on together and here's the thing I will help you not to do it again
whatever. Whatever. And that's it, really. He is gracious and loving. And I think rather than me, me praying out loud for you, let's, let's just have a time of reflection. Because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. It may be in the area of marriage. Maybe you've been through that and you know that, that God can restore. You know that. Let's just wait. Let's just wait. All I want to say, Lord, is that you'll take what has been said and studied and apply it to us. I may not have got it all right, but Lord, thank you that whatever, you are a God of grace and mercy and compassion. And we love it, love you for it. Because if you were not, we wouldn't be here. But we are. And thank you for whatever we've done. You can forgive. You do forgive. And you help us to go on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.